continue to look into the Bible, into God's Word, Galatians chapter 3. Let me just say by way of preface here, we've been talking a lot about the sovereignty of God and the fact that He opens our hearts to respond to Him. That's absolutely true. By the way, I hope you have your Bibles. We're Bible people, and we want to be able to see that it's actually in the text of Scripture, the things that are being uh, spoken to us today, that this is uh, coming from the Lord. So we have talked a lot about the fact that God is the one who is responsible totally for our salvation. Not a little bit, not 50% of it, but 100% of our salvation. Jonah chapter 2 says that salvation is of the Lord. He's the one who opens the heart. He's the one who causes us, not just, not just simply assists us along. He doesn't just bring us all to a neutral point in our life. There is no such thing as provenient grace. And that's a, that's a doctrine of Scripture that has been added into the text of Scripture that's not there. This idea that God gives everybody enough grace to kind of bring them to a neutral point of where all of a sudden they can make a decision. It's pure grace. It's God opening our hearts. It's God doing a, a miracle of regeneration. Him making us alive. We're dead in our sins, hardened to the things of God. And the Holy Spirit comes and he, he breathes on us. And he, he gives us brand new life. And yet the scripture says we are responsible. We are responsible to come to him even though we don't have the ability to. We're 100% responsible to rely on him in faith. Listen, I, I might owe a credit card debt the size of the national debt. What's it at, $20 trillion, something around that? I might never have the ability to pay it off in a million lifetimes but I'm still responsible for it. Somebody may do some kind of heinous crime and never be able to pay full restitution, but they are still responsible for their crimes. And so this is what we are saying is God must do something, but make no mistake, you are responsible to respond. And somebody says, well, I'll just wait until if God wants to do it. He, he can do whatever he wants and then... then that's fine with that. Listen, that's a totally sinful attitude. I'll just, if God wants me to come in, then, then I'll come in and I don't really care and God can hit me like a brick in the head if he wants to and then, then I'll finally get right with God. It's all up to him. That, that is a unsoftened, demonic heart. If you're beginning to care about these things and you realize, as Jesus said, that uh, this servant owed a debt he could never pay back, and that's starting to weigh on your heart, God is already speaking to you. And we need to make it very clear here that God does not resist anybody who comes. In fact, he calls to all to come. He's calling you this morning. He's saying, come. Are you thirsty? Come. You tired of the burden, as Christian was in the Pilgrim's Progress? You tired of carrying that burden around, that guilt and that shame of sin 
and you're, you're knowing that this is something that you can never get rid of yourself, you just sit there and you say, well, I'm just not going to do anything about it, or do you come by faith alone? The Bible has the clear answer, and the answer is come. If you're thirsty this morning, drink. He'll never cast you out. He never resists anybody who comes with a humble spirit. The Bible says he, um, he resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. The proud of heart says God can do whatever he wants, and he'll do it, and I don't care, and that, that kind of spirit. That's the heart of heart. The humble of heart hears his voice and says, Oh, God, I owe a debt I could never pay back. It's bigger than the national debt. It's infinitely large. I could never, never, never make restitution for this debt. And yet, oh Lord, I'm hearing by faith. Here's where we get into Galatians. The hearing with faith, I'm hearing. That if I trust in your son, I unload my debt, my weight, my sin, my burdens, my shame, my guilt on him. I give it all over to him that he will take it and he will throw it away and that Christ has fully dealt with it. This infinite debt was dealt with by an infinite Savior. Does anyone want some ice cream? I, we could, we could, we could, could break here. So, a little background music. An infinite debt. Paid to an infinite ice cream man. Okay, here we are. Galatians chapter 3. Why don't we open up our, our Bibles here to Galatians chapter 3. John chapter 3, verse 19, by the way. Why don't we go there real quick. We're talking about this whole idea of sin. We need to be really, really clear here. God doesn't cause anybody to sin. He takes no delight in the death of the wicked. He, he's not up there. He has not predestined people to hell in this sense of he says I've created and I have determined I want this person to go to hell listen that is not what happens he has predestined people to life to life people go to hell not because of God they go to hell because of their own sin that's why they go there God will not be held accountable. God is not the cause of sin. He doesn't delight in sin. He's never sinned. He hates sin. He hates it thoroughly and he hates it completely, passionately. And he hates what sin does to people. And he gets no joy, as people do, when people see other people fall. They say, oh, isn't this good stuff? Look at this person. They're finally getting what they deserve. That's not the way God works. That's the way people work. And for us to ever accuse God of being less loving than us is blasphemous. It's blasphemous. So God comes in this, in this pleading and in this passion for life, and he tells us why people go to eternal condemnation, and he doesn't say it's because of the delight of God. Notice what he says in John chapter 3, verse 19. John, the third chapter, of course, we all know the uh, verses preceding that, some of the most famous verses in, in all of Scripture, in particular, verse 16. 
But he says this in verse, verse 19. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. So who's the light? Jesus is the light. And then he tells us we are the light. We're a secondary light. We're, we're like the light of the moon. We don't have our own light. By the way, I love that song we sing, that we are the light, we are the light, we are the light, and then we go into Jesus is the light. It's a good thing we get to that part of the song because it would be really scary if all we sing is we are the light, we are the light, we are the light. It sounds almost Jim Jones-ish to me because we're not the ultimate light. And as long as we understand that, Jesus said, you are the light of the world, but we have to understand it in its context. It's not, oh, you are, you are the light, and this is so wonderful. It's Jesus is the light, and you as the light are radiating his light. So he is, listen, he is the sun. He's the sun, and we are the moon. He's the sun. He has intrinsic light. He has intrinsic value. He has intrinsic life within himself. And we radiate his light as a secondary light, simply shining the light of Christ. And this is what it means to go around in the neighborhood in Wilkes-Barre and in northeastern Pennsylvania and to shine the light. We're not shining our own light. We're shining the light of Jesus, shining the true light. And so here's what he, he says here in, in chapter 3, verse 19. He says, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. Jesus is the light. But here's the problem. People have loved the darkness rather than the light because their works are evil. This is why people are under the wrath of God in, in condemnation, under his judgment. It's not because they're forced to do evil. It's not because God delights in their evil. It's not because God has caused them to sin. No, no. It's because they have, they have loved the darkness. They want the darkness. They go after the darkness with reckless abandon. And we, we need to say this, as we have, we have said before, there's not one repentant soul in hell. Not one. And we need to understand that. There is any picture that says people are in hell going, oh God, I realized what I did in my life and I'm so sorry and I come before you humbly and I ask you, oh God, if I only had a second chance Lord, that you would forgive me. And God is saying, no, the door has been shut forever. That's not, that's not the case. Hell is eternal because people eternally are saying no to God. Can't believe you put me here. I didn't deserve to be here. You're unloving. You're unfair. They're shaking their fist in the face of God saying, how dare you, God? And that's what they're doing forever and ever. And it's this spiral of darkness and spiral of sin that only gets worse by the day. It's not God doing anything other than him saying, listen, my wrath is pressed against you because of your own decision, your own sin. This is what you wanted. Complete justice. Completely being fair. Oh, God is ultimately just and he's ultimately righteous. And we're responsible We are responsible to hear and to receive and to respond as Abraham, our father, did. You say it was easy for Abraham. He's Abraham. Abraham was a sinner just like you and me. The hard heart. A heart that loves sin. He was not born righteous. I was... 
began talking with people in the nursing home this past week. It's amazing the ingrained nature of saying we're, we're good. We're good. And having to come to the point of saying we're not good. We're good in the sense of we're good in man's eyes. We're good. We can say people do good deeds. There's nothing wrong with saying that's a good man or that's a good woman. There's nothing wrong with that kind of language. But if we're talking about goodness before a holy and a pure and a righteous God, the, the Bible says clearly, Romans 3, there, there is none good, and that includes Abraham. So we say, oh, this was just easy for old Abraham. Abraham did this rather easily. He didn't. He had to have his eyes opened. And he responded, though, with, with faith. I want to say this before we continue to move on. If you read verse 6 with me here, it may look here like his faith was the righteousness, the way it's worded. Now, when we're talking about righteousness, we are talking about his faith, that his faith was the righteousness. That, that's not what it's saying here, but I, I want you to follow along. Verse 6 says, just as Abraham believed God, and it, some people would say the it there is faith, it was counted to him as righteousness. So if you want to be righteous, God is looking for people with faith, and people with faith have righteousness, that their faith is the righteousness that God is talking about. So people say, well, look at me, I'm person of faith, and my faith is my righteousness because I'm a person of faith, and therefore God accepts me because I have faith. That's not what it's saying here. It may look like that. The faith here that's being spoken of is a conduit or a pipe. It's a doorway to righteousness. You must have faith. The faith is not the righteousness you need. Listen, listen carefully. We need to get this. The faith is the doorway or the faith is the pipeline to the righteousness that we need. The faith itself is not the righteousness. We need another righteousness. But how do we get it? Listen, we need righteousness. That's what we need from God. How do we get righteousness? We have to step. Listen, we have to step through the doorway of faith. That's what it's saying. We have to go through the pipe, as it were, through the pipe. Well, let's, let's stop there, through the pipe. Rick and I have been playing Mario Brothers lately. And even our kids are going, oh, brother. And they walk by, and there, there they are. But to get to different worlds, you have to go through the pipe. And the pipe isn't the world. It's the conduit to the world. So when we talk about a person with faith, we don't say, oh, their faith is the world. Their faith is, is the righteousness. No, no. It's their faith is the only doorway, the only way to the righteousness that we need. That's what Galatians chapter 3 is saying, that faith is the only means. It's through faith. This is why if you've heard this before, it's through faith by grace. Let me give just one other quick illustration. Somebody's on a third story building and it's, it's on fire. And they're up in the window and the firemen come and they have the big net below. And they're saying, jump, jump, save yourself from the fire. Okay, 
So finally, finally, um, I, I don't know, Charlie, I hope there's not a Charlie in here. Charlie decides to jump. And he lands safely in the net. What, what is it that saved him? Is it the jump or the net? It's the net. But he had to jump. He had to go through the jump in order to land safely in the net. And this is what we're saying with faith. You must have faith, but it's simply a pipe. You must have faith, but it's simply a doorway. You must have faith, but it's simply, as it were, a jump here. Now, if we're looking here, you, you might think that it's his faith that is the righteousness here in verse 6. But that's not what it's saying. It's saying this. We could summarize it by saying this. Abraham believed God. And you could even remove, according to the Greek, you could even remove the it there, and you could say it like this. Abraham believed God, and there was an accounting. That's what the Greek here means. There was an accounting, or there was a crediting, or there was an imputing. Then the word here, instead of as, which is the word ice in the Greek, is to or unto righteousness. That's what it means. You say, this is too deep. It's not too deep. We can, we, we can understand this. It's just simply saying this. Let's just make it, break it down. It's simply saying this. Abraham believed God, and there was an accounting unto righteousness, to righteousness. So what is it saying? It's saying Abraham believed God, and so Abraham stepped through the door of faith unto, literally unto, the word ice, literally to or unto. He stepped through the door of faith unto righteousness. That's what it's saying. Now, the question is, what was the righteousness he received? He goes through faith to get to the righteousness. It wasn't that his faith was the righteousness, but he needed righteousness. But he needed the righteousness of another. Oh, the scripture is so clear on this, man. We go, oh, that's, yeah, that's what it says here in the Bible. We're breaking it down. That's exactly what the text says here. So he believed God and he was credited to him unto righteousness. Then he says this. He says, know then, verse 7, that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. People of faith are part of Abraham's family of faith. Let me just stop here real quick. You want to be a part of Abraham's family? Now, he's not talking here about being a Jew. He's not saying you become a Jew, and all of a sudden, uh, because you have faith, you become a son of Abraham in the sense that all of a sudden, ethnically, you change. There's no magic here. This isn't like the magic of transubstantiation that says um, juice or wine literally turns into blood. That's hocus pocus. There's no hocus pocus here. There's no, you believe and all of a sudden you become Jewish. That's not what it's saying here, saying you become a, a child of Abraham. But we, we do become part of his family. What's he saying? He's saying you become a part of the family of faith. You become a child of God. And there's no greater feeling in the whole world than to be a part of the family of God. To know other people, listen, to know other people who actually know the same God that you know, it's the most exciting thing in the world. 
Amen? I mean, it's really exciting. Let me ask you this. You get excited about being around other Christians? You get excited about talking with people about Jesus? Would you rather be hanging around a circle of people who don't know Christ? Or would you rather be hanging around Christians who know Christ? Would you rather be talking about this and praying with people? You say, no, I really don't have any interest in that. Then perhaps you're of a different family. See, that, that's, that's what he is saying here. He's saying there's, there's family here, and it's not, it's not by your ethnic status that you become family. And if you don't have any desire for these things, if you don't have a desire for the truth, you don't have a desire for the word. You don't ex get excited about worshiping with people. You don't uh, get excited about knowing God. That, that doesn't make you that excited. In fact, you just do it because you do it. The question is, what family are you a part of? That's the question. In fact, a lot of people got offended over this in John chapter 8 because they said this. They said, we're the sons of Abraham. Don't you know what Jesus, what part of what, what family we're a part of. Now, notice what Jesus says here. We interpret the scripture with scripture. Turn with me very quickly to uh, John chapter 8. John the 8th chapter. John the 8th chapter, verse 37. John chapter 8, verse 37 says this. I know that you are, Jesus is saying, I know that you are the offspring of Abraham. Isn't that amazing? Paul, who is, uh, is one with Christ, he's in Christ, he understands Jesus infallibly. He tells us that we are of the children of Abraham, but Jesus is telling Jews here, specific Jews, unbelieving Jews, that they are the offspring of Abraham, Yet he says in verse 37, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. Uh-oh. What's he talking about? I'm talking about making people upset. Tell a bunch of religious Jews that their father is the devil what he did. So, so Paul comes along and he says, listen, we are, we are a part of this, this wonderful family, and this family is the family of God, and the way that we become a part of this family is simply through faith, through faith, not of ethnic origin, not of uh, skin color, not of being a Jew, but faith alone. Now the question is, what is this faith? That's what we need to be asking ourselves. Because a lot of people talk about faith. People who are people of faith. You're people of faith everywhere. You have people of faith in the academy. You have sports figures who are people of faith, 
as soon as they win a ball game, somebody sticks a microphone in their faith and they say something like this, it was my faith that got me through. Or somebody went through a time in their life and they say it was my faith. And God tells us specifically here through Paul that it is through faith that we become a part of the family of God. But he doesn't leave it out there so that we just become unclear, that it's just this kind of nebulous faith. We just believe. And as long as you just have belief, as long as you just kind of trust in something, or believe in something, then you have faith. Now he cuts that down at the core. And he tells us that faith has specific content and it looks at a specific person. He even says here, he uses the scripture, he talks about the scripture as if it was a person because when the scripture speaks, God is speaking. I'm reading right now, if you can just spare me for a few extra minutes this morning. I'm reading right now this incredible book by John Piper on the scripture. And if you want a, if you want a good book on the Bible, it was written just a couple years ago, it's fantastic. And it wrestles with a question that I had early on in my ministry that I wrestled with all the time. Here was a question. How can somebody come into church, hear the preaching of God's word, know nothing about biblical history? They've never heard the proofs of the existence of God. They've never been trained in any way in the scriptures. How is it possible to open up a verse like Galatians chapter 3 and for someone out of just a few verses in a 45-minute sermon be utterly convinced of its truth? So there was a pressure on me. I felt this pressure. And there was this pressure like, well, maybe you need to kind of start from the beginning every Sunday. Because if somebody misses it, then they come in and they haven't heard. And so you have to begin with, there is a God, and, and here's how you know there's a God. And then you lead from how you know there's a God to, we have a Bible. And how do you know the Bible's true? And how do you know that it's written by these 40 men over this span of a couple thousand years? How, how do you know all this is true? And there's this danger of turning every sermon into this kind of apologetic for that, this defense of that, how we can know. And, of course, you're sitting there, and you're not really getting anywhere, and you know that that's not, that's not how things should appropriately and correctly work. I want to ask this simple question. We'll, we'll answer it with a simple yes without digging too deep. Is it possible for somebody to hear Galatians chapter 3, verses 6 through 9, and be utterly transformed and not go away just thinking they know the truth, but actually knowing it in a moment of time? And the answer to that is yes. That's miraculous. Somebody doesn't need four courses in why the Bible's true. Listen, somebody could walk into this church today, hear three verses, and know it's true. Why is that possible? Because God is speaking. 
And when God is speaking, he speaks with authority that goes way beyond us in the way that we think and are convincing. And he can actually convince the heart in three verses and in 45 minutes and change somebody's life forever. And this is why Paul says here when he talks about the scripture, this is why they have such utter reverence for the Bible. Paul was a Bible man. So notice what he says here in, in this verse 8. He says this. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles, it says here by faith, I think it could be better understood here, out of faith, as we were talking earlier. Out of faith, preach the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Listen to what he said. He said Abraham didn't just get up and go, I believe God. He believed the gospel. He believed something specific about God that pointed him to God. Let me show you this in two places because he's quoting here Genesis chapter 12. Then we're going to flip back to John 8 and then we're going to close. Okay, so Genesis chapter 12 here very quickly. Genesis chapter 12, this is what he's, what he's quoting Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. We can even skip back to verse 2. God is telling. So he's saying here, Paul is saying that the scripture says, God says that God preached the gospel to Abraham and that Abraham responded to this gospel that was preached. And he responded to this gospel that was preached with faith and that it was through this faith that he was credited with the righteousness of Christ. Notice what it says here, verse 2. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. Abraham, I'm going to make you this incredible nation and I will bless those who bless you and him who honors you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, Paul says that he was preaching the gospel to him and that Abraham believed the gospel. How, how was Abraham going to be blessed? Was God simply saying to him, you're going to have a big family and it looks really bad right now. You're almost 100 and Sarah's 90 and things are really terrible, but you're going to have a big family. Don't worry. No, no, he's saying much more than that. Abraham knew exactly what he was talking about. He was saying, through you, Abraham, is going to come the one who's going to bless the nations of the earth, the Savior. And Abraham bowed his head and he said, yes, Lord. And when he believed in that coming Savior, he believed the gospel that was preached with his whole heart and his eyes were open to the truth. The Bible says he was instantaneously justified. Now to make this more specific, and we close with this, turn with me to John chapter 8. John 8, 8 chapter. John chapter 8. John chapter 8, verse 56.
John chapter 8, verse 56 says this. God is still talking, the Son of God. He says, verse 56, your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see whose day? He says, my day. He saw it. He saw Jesus coming. That's what it's saying. That's what Jesus is saying. He saw Jesus coming and, and was glad. He was looking with a faith, with a specific gospel that was directed toward a specific person, and Abraham saw it clearly. So the Jews said to him, you are not 50 years old yet, Jesus. You're not even 50 years old, and you've seen Abraham? Now Jesus really gets him going. He says this, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. You know what he's saying? He's saying, I'm God. Can't be a clearer statement than that. They understood that. So they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Acts 4.12, and there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Romans chapter 3 verse 30 says this. I'll just read it to you. Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3 verse 30 says this. Since God is one, Who will justify the circumcised by faith, that is, the Jew by faith, and the uncircumcised through faith? What is he saying here? He's saying you and I are blessed with Abraham. If we step through the doorway of faith, Believing in the Son. And the second we do that, the righteousness of God in Christ is credited to our account. An alien righteousness simply means another righteousness. And we are justified because of Him. Praise the Lord. Amen. Would you stand with me as we close? Father, we thank you that our faith is not the righteousness you give us. It's simply a means by which we are given the righteousness. We are credited the righteousness of God because of faith. What a gift. Lord, I pray that we would see ourselves as that, as righteous, not as unrighteous. That we wouldn't forget the fact that even though we still deal with unrighteousness in these bodies, we war with the flesh, that you have given to us, you have credited to us, you have accounted us as righteous because of Christ's righteousness. 
and we thank you for that. Every head bowed and every eye closed, if you've come in here and you are naked without the righteousness of Christ, you're still in your own sin, in need of a Savior to give you his righteousness, you can only have it through faith. this isn't just a snap decision, then this isn't faith in nothing. It's faith through the gospel in the specific son. It's faith in Jesus. It's faith in Jesus. It's faith in Jesus. That's you and you say, I need Christ. I need his righteousness given to my account. Would you raise your hand and say, that's me. I need Christ. I need Christ. I see a hand. Anyone else? Anyone else? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for the righteousness that has been given to us. Pure gift. Pure gift. Your gift. 